0: Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen.
1: The title of the book, Samuel Sails, Round the Horn. And the author is Lynn Glaze. And Lynn joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Lynn.
2: Hello, Stan. Steve. How are you? Very... Hello, oh, Stan. Yeah. Sam, that's not cool. Anyway. <laughs> Hello, Steve. How are you?
1: Great to have you with us, Lim. Uh, see, we neither one of us can talk. That's why we edit. <laughs> great to have you. Gotta you. Start again. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Lynn.
2: Hello, Steve. How are you this morning?
1: Well, great to have you with us. Uh, this is a great story. Uh, great. A child story uh, about a young man going off to find his, uh, I guess his fortune, Uh, at least he thought he was, but he Mm -hmm. probably ends up finding more about himself. We go all the way back to 1850, and he sails around the Cape, going to California to find gold. Of course, everybody's dream, right, The, the gold rush of 1850. Mm-hmm. But he discovers a lot of other things. And so, before we get into all the details about what he discovers and some of his adventures and his friends mm-hmm. and other characters, uh, Lynn, why don't you tell us why you wrote this book?
2: Yeah, I've always been interested in writing. Even when I was a teenager, we be- I belonged to the Young Authors Club of the Berkeley Daily Gazette, where I was growing up in California. And I've, on and off, I've been writing all this time. Uh, Uh, political things and all kinds of things. And then, uh, one I, uh, my brother came up with information from the California Historical Society. And on that, he found some things that were, uh, they were historical references of my great, great grandparents. And I think what happened was that, uh, my great uncle, was the first president of the California Historical Society, and he had his parents write brief stories about how they got to California. Because he said, you're like, hello, Mom, I've heard these stories so many times. Uh, why don't we write them down and put them in the California Historical Society? So that's what they did. And about 15 years ago, my brother discovered them, and he sent me copies they are very short copies because they didn't have much to say and so i used both of these my great grandmother's trip across the country in a covered wagon and my great 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 grandfather's trip across the um around the horn as uh, opportunities to write children's stories because i believe that historical fiction is important for young people.
1: Well, we can learn so much from history, and young people today are so caught up in the electronic world, the computer world, the internet, all kinds of games, and all of that, and you take them mm-hmm. back, back to a time when there were no gadgets. That's unthinkable today. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, yes, you had to do it on your own, and that's what Sam does. He just he just runs away from home, and uh, finds an opportunity to be a cabin boy on a ship and to go to California. And that's uh, what he wanted to do. And he found out it's quite more difficult than he thought it was going to be.
1: Yeah, he was pretty excited, I'm sure, like any young man would be. But four months four months on the open seas, that, that's uh, got to be a wild, wild adventure.
2: Yes, if you were a young uh, person from Uh, New Hampshire, and you get on the ocean, which you have not even seen before. And then it goes on and on and on. I mean, really, it takes a long time to get to California by sailing ship, especially around the Horn.
1: So it's a pretty demanding job being a cabin boy.
2: Yes, yes, it was very demanding, because especially when some of the people got sick, and didn't eat and you had to clean up after them and you had to go through ice and snow to do your job and uh when I mean he was just amazed that it actually snowed on the water on in uh when you, you don't think about that. I mean, especially if
3: you're
2: sixteen right. years old.
1: <laughs> right. Now he has a, a good friend though, uh, on the ship. Is that Jack?
2: Well, Jack is the uh, carpenter on a ship, and he has lost his son, and so he takes a real interest in Sam.
1: So, more than he just is, a friend, almost like a son.
2: Yeah, he really, uh, I think that Sam didn't have a great relationship with his own father, and Jack becomes kind of a pseudo father to him and teaches him all kinds of things that he needs to know to get along on
1: this trip. And then, of course, there's Ben. I guess that's his buddy.
2: Ben is his buddy. Now, Ben is is a, a privileged boy who is a passenger on the ship, and the two of them uh, get acquainted really when Ben goes overboard and uh, Sam raises the alarm, and he is uh, saved. So then, they became very good friends because they're only two people that age, on the
1: ship. And you say this journey, this sailing adventure, it really sails straight into manhood. He just grows up.
2: He really does. And there's a part in the book where he put on his sweater when they get down to the, that his mother had knit for him. Well, it was not fitting very well anymore because he'd developed all these muscles and he'd grown taller and not not physically he'd changed and absolutely mentally he had changed a great deal
1: what age group would love this story
2: i think anyone from 10 to 14 uh who is interested in history or anybody who is interested in writing uh, my other book uh, sold very well in in uh, that age group that was a girl book this is a boy book
1: So, Sam, at first he's lonely and homesick, but uh, he works hard, makes friends, and he has some eye-opening experiences, as you call them. What are some of the eye-opening experiences of this young man?
2: Well, the storm at sea and then takes part of the um, mast, and so they have to go into a port and repair the ship, and he gets off it's a tropical island. And my goodness, this is something he had never seen before. He'd never seen the type of people that live on tropical islands. And he's just amazed. And then, of course, later, going around the Horn, it takes them a long time, and they have a very hard time getting around the Horn because, as you know, sailing ships had to go with the flow, and the... The uh, water went one way and the wind went the other way and you had to really, it takes weeks sometimes. And then they are ha- get lost on an island and are rescued by whalers. So it's quite an exciting time.
1: Yes, and he ends up working on that whaler ship.
2: Yes, yes, that was an inter- interesting uh, experience for them too. And uh, really working on... The uh, descriptions of what you had to do to uh, render a whale when you found it are mm. eye-opening, to say the least. Yes,
1: <laughs> yes. He has uh, a lot of people that are supportive, but but he has uh, some run-ins with uh, especially one man on the boat.
2: Yes, there's one man who just feels he wants to get to... Uh, California, he should have the airplane because you know that's the kind of person he is. I want to be there tomorrow. I don't want to have to deal with this awful weather. I don't want to have to deal with this uh, terrible food, and uh, he just is very difficult to get along with. And he, unfortunately, is Ben's roommate, and so Ben is not a happy camper about that either. So it is it, very good. And then the captain on the whaling ship is most obnoxious also so but the rest of the people kind of take to him and uh, jack takes to him as a as a son and there's a big red on the on the whaling ship who is very thoughtful and kind to both of these kids You know, he says stop teasing them, giving them a hard time they're not happy to be here let's just use them and and uh be pleasant so they really have a, a good time. So when they finally make it to san francisco He uh, is really uh, sorry to leave some of these people.
1: Right, they become close friends. They've been through a lot together. (laughs) He certainly has. (laughs) Boy, you spend that much time together, four months or more? Actually, Uh, it was seven months. Seven months because of all the uh, mishaps along the way.
2: Yes, Yes, because they left in October and they didn't get into uh, San Francisco till May.
1: That's really unimaginable for young people today to to <laughs> think about something like that. When, of course, today we jump in a car, we jump on a plane. You know, everything is so instant. And of course, and
2: of course being sixteen years old, he never thought about that it would take that long right. or it would be that hard. I mean, it's, hey, yeah. this is this is how I'm going to get to California because uh, my friend's uncle is the captain and he will let me work there. And you know. Uh, Probably like both kids today, they'll well, I'll be there certainly by next week. But no, it didn't work out that way.
1: Sounds like a great book for young people to read, to learn lessons of life. Uh, take us back to a special time 150 years ago, uh, to the, the gold rush days, and of course, life on this ship, uh, which offers up all kinds of interesting experiences, more than we I'm sure even as adults could imagine. So, it sounds like adults will enjoy it too.
2: Well, some of them do. I mean, I've had people who read it to their children who were in the they were like 7 years old and they were really interested in it. So, uh, it's really funny because my dentist bought he's bought each of my books and the first time uh he got it my, my wife bought this book at at a book sale and he said it's by Lynn Glaze. He said is that you? <laughs> and I said, how many Lynn Glazes do you know? And he was really pleased, and so he he bought one for all of his children. Oh, well, He had fantastic. five children, so, you know, that's the kind of friends to have, right?
1: That is. And you, the title of your other book, give us that?
2: It's called Seasons of the Trail, and it concerns my great-grandmother's trip across in a covered wagon from uh, Illinois to uh, um, to California. In uh, 1860.
1: A pioneer woman, my goodness.
2: She's a pioneer woman, age 14, and she has some interesting experiences also,
1: yes. I'm sure. Well, Lynn, it's just a delight to have you with us. Lynn Glaze, that's G-L-A-Z-E, and she is the author of her book, Samuel Sayles, Round the Horn, and she also is the author of Seasons of the Trail. Lynn, tell us how to get your book.
2: We, both of them are available on Amazon.com, and Samuel is also available as a, a ebook. On um, that, He didn't have ebooks when the first one was published in 2000.
1: More technology—we just can't. Hard to stay up with, isn't it? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, it certainly is.
1: Yes, it is. Well, thank you so much, Lynn, for being with us on iUniverse Radio.
2: It's It's a
0: pleasure.
4: Why don't you look at the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and beyond with Pete Dix.
3: Evermore, people have the means to live, but no meaning to live for.
0: to I-Universe Radio with host Steve Jorgensen.
1: The title of the book, Tales from Toad Suck, and the author is John J. Dub Black, and John joins us now on I-Universe. Hello, John. Uh, hello. How
5: are you this morning?
1: Great to have you with us. Well, the first thing I think everyone has to know before we get into about you and why you wrote this, uh, the title... Toad Suck. Where is Toad
5: Suck? Uh, Toad Suck is in Arkansas, uh, and it came about as a result of the Arkansas River, which is the county line between two counties. One of the counties is dry, meaning you can't purchase alcohol there. The other county is wet, which is uh, you can. Uh, About 1850, a young man put a ferry boat to go back and forth across the river, uh, and Another enterprising young man uh, built a log cabin that was used for a bar uh, so people could stop and get a drink on the wet side when they got off of the ferry. That was highly criticized back in Conway, Arkansas, and the thing got around that wild bunch used to take the road north till they came to the river, take the ferry boat across the river, and set on a rail fence outside that bar and suck corn liquor out of jugs till they swole up like toads. And that got reduced down to Toad Suck.
1: (laughs) Well, it isn't a town. It's not even a village. It's a place, as you've just described where it is. And this book, Tales from Toad Suck, is a collection of stories that follows you. This is your memoir, Four Years of One Boy's Life as He Grows Up in Rural Arkansas Without His Biological Father and Mother. So this uh, this is quite a... I, I guess, an emotional journey for you writing this book. You know, it was. I didn't expect that it would be, but
5: it was. Uh, some of the chapters are
1: uh,
5: are really uh, earth shakers, and some are very humorous. Uh, quite a few really humorous chapters uh, in the book. But uh, I found that uh, I could write for four and five hours at a time, uh, no problem at all. Uh, but sometimes when I would go downstairs with my wife at night and attempt to read to her, there are a couple of chapters that I still can't read out loud without uh, choking up. Uh, but, well, I'm uh, sure. one, of, one of the biggest chapters is uh, the chapter uh called Halloween Tricks, where me and uh, three boys put a cow up in the belfry of the church. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we did some research on that prior to Halloween. We knew what we were doing. And the church had a small belfry, about five by five, and it had steps that led up to it. And what we did late that night, around midnight, uh, is we swiped a cow from the farm next to the church, a small cow, we had to have a small cow. Uh, And I led the cow up the steps with the three boys pushing her and slapping her with belts from behind to get her up into the belfry, which we did. Uh, And I was in the front holding the cow uh, the bell was right above my head, and the clapper had a rope uh, that dangled off of it, and I tied the cow up there with the rope. I tied that around her neck, <laughs> oh, and then I crawled out underneath her feet because she was stuck in the doorway. She couldn't oh. back out. Cows don't back up anyway, but she couldn't back out. And she was stuck. We left and went home, and early that morning, the cow became uh, irritated at being Uh, restricted up there, began to shake her head, and every time she shook her head, the bell would ring. That woke up the pastor who was sleeping in a house behind the church. He came in and looked up at the belfry and saw the cow's rear end sticking out the door. (laughs) Oh, dear Lord, there is a cow stuck in my belfry. Uh, And He tried to get some help. He called his board. People began to show up. Uh, they couldn't get the cow out. The cow wouldn't back out. Of course, the cow was tied and stuck in there. No one could get in. Uh, this carried on for the better part of the day. People began to come because word got out over the party lines that there was a cow stuck in the belfry. <laughs> People began to gather in the front of the church, some with picnic baskets and, and blankets that they threw out. And every time the cow shook her head, the bell would ring again. Uh, that's, the, that's the chapter that I get the most emails
1: about. <laughs> Well, it kind of has a ring of a Mark Twain tale, doesn't it? <laughs>
5: a little bit, yeah.
1: Yes. Well, uh, what's so amazing, too, is today Toad Suck has this incredible festival. How many people showed up at the most recent one? At the recent, the, the last uh, Toad Suck Days Festival, uh,
5: 179,000 people showed up for that. And I was there uh, with my book, uh, <laughs> and it was absolutely a fantastic uh, day, uh, several days really, uh, thoroughly enjoyable, and people were just there to have a good time, enjoy the day, a lot of good food, a lot of good booths, and uh, had a lot of things to sell, and they had toad races, uh, and they had uh, the three-legged race, the TOSAC race, Uh, they do sort of things like that, the old games, that are just a lot of fun.
1: Well, some very serious, sobering chapters as well, Uh, I mean, you went through an incredible uh, traumatic experience when your mom she got dragged away from the house. Now tell us about what happened.
5: Well, uh, what happened was my dad had had called, I guess, the uh, the medical people, but uh, two attendants in a white van showed up at my house. This is in chapter one of the book, and uh, uh, they came in and they drugged my mother out, and I fought it. I bit one of them, uh, and my dad didn't do anything. My dad had a had a terrible drinking problem, he was a total alcoholic, uh, and not a good man. Uh, and they drug her out of the house, threw her in the back of this van, locked the doors, and left. Uh, then my dad uh, left that afternoon, and I didn't see him again for over two years. Uh, and I was left in the house alone. I lived there alone for a while, uh, but that had to come to an end. Then I heard some people talking about having the social workers pick me up, and I said, I can't handle that. Uh, the next morning I put my clothes in a pillowcase strapped it on the handlebars of my bicycle and began a 30 mile ride to my uncle's farm they didn't know I was coming but I had to get out of there and uh, that was a long ride for a 10 year old kid to make I was having some troubles. I was better than halfway there when a farmer in a pickup truck uh, stopped and gave me a ride put the bike in the back gave me a ride also gave me half of a spam sandwich that was kind of crusty and dried but I hadn't eaten for a day and a half, and I thought that was about the best sandwich I'd ever tasted in my life. Uh, I was really scared as I went to my aunt and place because <clears throat> I had no place to go. Uh, I had no other place to go. If they didn't want me, I didn't know what I was going to do. And I felt the weight of that for the entire trip. And as I rode my bike, he dropped me off at the road as I rode my bike up to the, the house. And they didn't have a house. What they had was a tin shed. Uh, it had a corrugated tin roof on it, and the sides of the of the house were also corrugated tin. It was very small, uh, and uh, that's where they lived. Uh, but as it turned out, Bryant Knuckle took me in. They didn't have a place for me to sleep, so I slept on an open porch for the uh, next four years. Uh, that was adjacent to the shed, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. I really. Didn't have a hard life. At least I didn't know I had a hard life until I grew up. Somebody said, hey, you had a hard life, and I thought about it, and I said, well, it's probably right. Uh, I did, but I loved living there with them. They were great people. They taught me a lot, and I had a lot of fun. So it worked out okay.
1: So again, tales from Toad Suck. It's four years of John Black's life. As he says, he was only 10 years old and went through some I guess uh, very, at that age, uh, very scary kinds of experiences, also uh, some uh, funny ones and uh, pranks that kids play, but uh, what do you think of the farm and, and how did that affect you working there? Well, it was a real
5: experience for me because we had a lot of farm animals and uh, I learned that uh, farm animals, a lot of them have personality and some of them have a sense of humor. We had a a big red Missouri mule with a white nose named Mike. And, uh, Mike had a sense of humor. Uh, and when I went into his stall to put his feet in his box, he would pin me against the wall and lean against me and I would have to beg him to let me go. Uh, and he would, but he never hurt me. He was, he, it was just his humor. Uh, then we had a big tom turkey, uh, that was in the chicken pen. Uh, and the tom turkey weighed close to 40 pounds and he thought he owned the pen and so he would run at me and run me out of the pen uh... which uh... i finally dealt with that i went down to visit a turkey farmer who explained to me how to hit a tom turkey with a stick and i went back and i hit him i thought i killed him uh... knocked him out and that was really frightened me but he woke up i got him back up on his feet and he and i made peace uh... i had a great dog who was my best friend Sandy, uh... and uh... i hunted with him later on and uh had a lot of fun with that dog. But the farming life was just a lot
1: of fun and a lot of work, too. How did you have such a positive attitude through all of this? A lot of people go through tough, tough, tough things as young people and never seem to come out of it. How did you uh, overcome your problems? Well,
5: I learned as I wrote the book, I hadn't really thought about it before writing the book, but I learned that uh, I believe that just about everybody uh, has to make a decision as to which path they're going to travel down in life. Normally that's done in the teenage years and it can be either conscious or unconscious, but you make the decision and that's the path you travel. In my case, uh, uh, it was delivered. I was within earshot of my grandmother when she told my uncle <clears throat> that my father was a no-good drunk, which I already knew, uh, and that I was going to go up and be a no-good drunk just like him and she wanted nothing to do with me. Uh, she was a mean old lady uh, and when she said that, it tore me apart. I ran down the road. She didn't know I heard her. I ran down the road crying, but I finally got myself under control. But that statement stayed with me all the way through college, through the graduate work that I did, through the navy. Uh, it just uh it was totally motivational. It could have gone the other way. I could have given up and just said, "Okay, I am going to be a no good drunk." but I chose not to, and I think uh, the book is good for youngsters to read too. Because they'll realize, hey, I've got to make a decision here. Am I going to make something of myself? Uh, what am I going to do? And that decision is going to happen, usually before you're 20 years old, uh, and you carry it through life.
1: Well, let's uh, end on, or, I, well, I guess we have time for a couple more, but uh, tell us about this fishing trip gone bad. That was, uh, uh, well, you almost drowned.
5: Yeah, I did. Uh, I was with a, with a friend. Uh, and what he had done that uh, actually cost him his life, uh, I tell about it in the book, but uh, he had bought a new pair of rubber fishing boots uh, that he was use in his boat, in the boat, and uh, the boots were a little tight, uh, but he put them on anyway. We went fishing. Uh, the day was calm and nice as we went out. Beautiful day started, uh, and then this huge storm just blew up, and, uh, of course, the river got really mean, uh, we tried to get back. We were in a cove way north of, uh, of the landing. We tried to, to head back. And as we came out of the cove into the river, uh, a wave flipped us over and, uh, we were both out of the boat. Uh, boat was hard to hold on to because there was nothing really to grab there. Uh, and I was trying to hold on to the boat. He was on the other side. Bill was, uh, and, uh, <coughs> I yelled, "Are you all right?" He said, "Yeah." I said, "I got one of the boots off," and he said, "I'm gonna. I've got to go under to get the other boot off." Uh, he went under uh, and uh, never came up. Uh, he he drowned. They found his body about three days later, uh, way down the river. Uh, and I managed to make it. I, I left the boat, which was drifting rapidly in the center of the river, uh, and attempted to swim towards the bank. I managed to get close enough to the bank to where an overhanging tree uh was in front of me and I grabbed onto it. I started to pull myself up and I I got halfway out of the water but I I just couldn't make it. I was so tired I had to rest there. Finally managed to get my leg over one of the branches and work my way up and then get out of the water entirely. Of course I was lost uh, in the woods and uh, trying not to walk in a circle and I was exhausted and it was raining hard uh, but I just kept walking and not knowing where I was going I saw a farmhouse. I saw a barn. I managed to make it to the front of the barn when I collapsed and passed out. The farmer came in to do his evening feeding and, and found me, uh, and he carried me into the house, and his wife uh, uh, got my clothes off of me and put me in a warm bed to call the sheriff, and uh, uh, and he came out, the doctor came out, and they took me to the hospital. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't know any of that was going on until later. I was told about it, but... Uh, after I woke up and my aunt and uncle were there, I found out that Bill was missing, uh, and uh, he never came back. When they found him, he had the, the other boot halfway off of his right leg. He just couldn't get the boot off, and uh, that's why he couldn't get back to the surface. But that was kind of a rough day. It
1: really was. Very, very rough. Uh, one last question. I just don't have very much time, but were you ever able to reunite with your mom and dad? I sure
5: was. My mother finally got out of the hospital. My dad, uh, who was really a irresponsible uh, alcoholic, just a, just a drunk, uh, but he never stopped loving uh, my mother. He got her out of the hospital in Little Rock and took her to uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, she wrote me a letter uh, and said, Look, I'm okay now, and I'm, I've got a job. She was back teaching school. Um, another story entirely, but uh, she managed to do that. And uh, she asked me if I would come to visit. And at 14, I rode a Greyhound bus from Little Rock, Arkansas to Phoenix. That took almost five days because the bus at that time had to go all the way down to Dallas and back up because there was no cross-country roads uh, like there is now. And uh, But I visited them. I decided to to go back to my mother and father. And I had to make some grown-up decisions, which were really hard because I loved my aunt and uncle dearly, they were wonderful people. They were practically mother, mother and father to me, uh, but I felt I had to go back to my mother, and I did. Uh, and so I moved to Phoenix and left them. But I came back later on. I told them, I said, leave my cot there. I might be coming back any day, and they did.
1: <laughs> We've been listening to John J. Dub Black. He's the author of his book, Tales from Toad Suck. John, tell us how to get your book.
5: Uh, simplest way to get it is Amazon.com uh, on the uh, internet. Barnes and Noble carries it. Uh, you can also go into just about any bookstore and they will order it for you. Uh, it's a, it's an iUniverse book. That's the uh, publisher, uh, and it's, uh, it's selling it at, it's selling at its best rate uh, through iUniverse uh, through uh, Amazon.com.
1: Thank you, John, for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it.
0: You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Show me the money!
3: Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. It's intelligent investing with Pam Otten on TogiNet. Connect with Juliana and connect with what lies beneath. Friday afternoons at 4, or 3 Central on TogiNet.com.
1: The title of the book, Surviving American Medicine How to Get the Right Doctor, Right Hospital, and Right Treatment with Today's Healthcare. And the author is Carrie Present. And Dr. Present joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Dr. Present.
4: Hello, Steve. It's nice to be with you and your listeners.
1: Great to have you with us. We're going to learn a lot from you because the medical care industry is changing so quickly it's hard to obviously for those of us who are uh, in need of help very difficult to stay up with so your book shows everyone how to make the best decisions by providing inside tips about getting the best doctors good insurance safe hospitals and affordable medicines from you a physician who's been a national expert on health care so This is from all your experiences and research, and I guess you've got a passion about this.
4: Well, I do because I see patients every day, and and when I see patients, and when I see my friends and family in social circumstances, uh, most people have a question uh, or a problem or a challenge uh, that they're having difficulty facing, and it used to be that you could just turn to your doctor and the doctor was your best friend and say oh yeah Joe here's what we're gonna do etc but today with healthcare reform uh, the doctors don't have time to be chatty and they don't have time to deal with all these little problems and sometimes when they try to deal with the big problems uh, they don't really address them completely to the satisfaction of a person so with these changes we take this down to the personal level I take it to what is your problem and how can you get better care with the healthcare system as we know about it today? And this includes over a hundred tips, uh, guidance that I can give you from my experience and over a hundred specific questions that you can write down and, and just ask your doctor. So through this whole process, a person becomes better able to deal with their personal problems and even when they don't have problems, they're, they're Challenges of getting the right preventive medicine, getting the right system to support them if they do get an illness, or knowing how to help their parents or their family or the children. So we get better information and can go forward even when all these healthcare changes are happening around us.
1: Now, as we face uh... These medical problems, especially for those of us who are living longer and longer, uh, it seems like that gives us more opportunity to have more problems, but boy, it seems tough to get in to see a doctor. Often we feel like the doctor doesn't take very much time with us. It's it's very frustrating.
4: It is, and, and I think we deal with this in the book. As I wrote, wrote this book, and uh, as Fran Drescher wrote the foreword for it because she had her own uh, challenges. Uh one of the problems we have is how do you get the best care at your visit when you know your visit's going to be shorter than usual and the doctor's going to be spending part of the time typing on a computer because doctors have to use computers nowadays to have electronic medical records how do you get attention to all the problems that you have how do you make certain that you get all your challenges addressed how do you make certain that even if you're in for a healthy visit how do you make certain that the doctor's taken time to talk to you about the risks that you have of the common diseases, whether it be heart disease or diabetes or cancer or metabolic syndrome. How do you make certain that the doctor takes time to tell you how to prevent these and the steps you need to take? And so in writing the book, I put down specific questions you have to ask your doctor if you're well or if you're ill and specific answers that you're looking for to get from the doctor and how you, you can use other people like a family member or a friend uh, or even, you know, your your smartphone to help to record the answers so you can really go back and listen to them again after the doctors said them once. I also give uh, tips on how to determine if your doctor is really a good doctor for you because, you know, a doctor can be a good doctor, but the doctor doesn't take time to really sit down with you and say, uh, well, listen, Steve, uh, here is exactly what you need to focus on for the future the doctor can be a great doctor but unless he takes that step of communicating with you so you know what information to go forward with and how you're gonna stay healthy or overcome an illness or a, or a disease uh, the doctor might not be the right doctor for you and so I have a, te- a mini test in there to determine if your doctor is the right doctor for you and I have a mini test for you Steve for example to say are you a good patient have you asked all your questions? Do you know all the information? Have you gotten the information from the doctor? And so things that you can do, things that you can do to check on your doctor and make certain that you're getting all the treatment that you need.
1: So you help us with what you call the doctor's scorecard. We can literally go through this process. And and it sounds like we've just got to take more responsibility. We can't rely like we used to. Uh, and feel like the doctor is going to be able to cover all these bases. We just have to be more educated.
4: No, that's true. We, today we're in charge of our health care more than ever before. It used to be the paradigm of, well, I'm a patient, I go to my doctor, my doctor will tell me everything I need to know, all done. But it's different today. Today you have to have a healthcare team. You've got to have the right insurance. So you've got to make certain that if you don't have the right insurance, that you talk to an insurance agent and we tell how to, how in the book I tell how to get to insurance agents who can help you for free. Uh then you've got to know that you've got a good doctor. So I tell you the thirteen steps of finding a good doctor, or the thirteen steps of finding a good uh second opinion or finding a specialist. Uh, and then you have to have on your healthcare team a good hospital and so I tell how to find a good hospital, how to make certain it's on your insurance, how to interact with the hospital, make certain that they're giving you good care and how to survive going in and out of a hospital so you know exactly uh, what's going on and you know how long your hospital stay should be. Uh, and then I talk about the other important components, the family support, uh, the support of friends, the support of uh, other people. Uh, and when you put together this whole team, uh, the doctor, the nurses, the office, the uh, insurance program, the the hospital, uh, and your own your, and yourself, because you really are the captain of your team, you know that you can go forward effectively, and you know as the captain of your team that you know you can replace these components of who 's on your team helping you. you know when your insurance isn 't really helping you. And you know how to either make it better, because I give tips on how to deal with your insurance company, or you know that you can replace that insurance. And, you know, we all have periods during the year when we can get a different insurance policy and how to choose that insurance policy. And I go into some detail about which insurance policies might be good for you or bad for you. We know that we can replace the doctor. You can get a second opinion. And I have, in the book, I have ten commandments, my ten commandments of second opinions, for you so you know when you need one and in it you know that you can replace a doctor or a specialist if you need to and you can go to a different hospital if you need to so you know how to take a member of your team a component of your team and replace them if you need to and lastly because you are now expected to be in charge of your own care i tell you how to get affordable medications you know i'm sure you've gone to the pharmacist as I have personally and said, oh my gosh, look how expensive these medications are. Uh, Am I going to be able to afford this? So I talk about how to get affordable medications, how to use a pharmacist at your neighborhood store uh, to help you to understand your medications and their interactions and make suggestions about how you can work with the pharmacist and the doctor to get the cost of your
1: medications down. Former Majority Leader of the U.S. Senate, Senator William H. Frist, uh, a doctor, uh, he says about your book, A Guide to Put the Patient in the Driver's Seat. Well, that's a a great endorsement.
4: It is, and I appreciate that very much from him. You know, he's been at the the center of health care reform. And he knows that as they've passed many healthcare reforms under his leadership in Washington and now under the leadership of, you know, the uh Congress and the uh president and the administration, as we see changes in health care coming down the pike all the time. The most important question is what does this change mean for me? In my case, Carrie, what what do I have to do with my health care when I see this change taking place uh, in uh, PPO insurance or in Medicare insurance or in Medicaid insurance? How does that can affect me specifically with staying healthy, getting my preventive medicine, uh... how's going to help me uh... or hurt me personally in taking care of any illnesses that i have whether it be uh... having uh... high cholesterol or diabetes or hypertension uh... or bad back syndrome or uh... knee problems or whatever how does the change in health care that we see happening on the television every day and in the newspaper every day how's that going to affect me directly used to be we could just turn to our doctor and say so what do i need to do now but now Today, we have to get information about our illnesses uh, that we have and our challenges that we have, and I give uh, reliable sources to get information for all the common diseases in the book so you know where you can turn to and the kinds of questions that I have to ask my doctor because he might not take the time to give me those answers. He or she, my doctor, uh, may be too stressed with other kinds of challenges uh... they've got to be at a meeting or they've got to be uh... filling out my record or they've got to take care of my insurance authorizations all these things take time away from how my doctor can take care of me so i have to make certain i go into that doctor's office fully prepared to get everything i need lots of questions lots of ears to listen to what's going on myself uh... my wife my family member my friend who do i bring with me how do i make certain if i have questions as the doctor's talking at light speed with uh, with descriptions that might be totally unintelligible to me because the doctors have a tendency to give doctor speak, not uh, patient speak, so you can't understand some of the things they say. How do I make certain I get every piece of information I need and I don't miss something that could mean life or death for me?
1: And you also cover even the extreme traumatic uh, possibilities when Patients might feel like you've got titled here, they've given up on me, or another one, I'm overwhelmed.
4: I see this all the time, and I get this. I mean, we've seen it because all of us talk with our other family members about, you know, when we're overwhelmed or when we just don't think that the doctor's paying attention to us anymore. A very common. Uh, observation is you go into the doctor and they say well I've done about all I can do for you or you go see the doctor and they throw up their hands they say well um, I don't know what else I can do at the present time And so there's a way you can overcome that challenge either by getting a second opinion in someplace else sometimes it's a university sometimes it's a disease oriented center uh, knowing that you can get other people to help support you when you feel overwhelmed by information or overwhelmed by The side effects of the illness. You can turn to other people to help you through this type of a process. Family, friends, but also support groups in hospitals and support groups through disease-oriented organizations like the American Heart Association, American Diabetes Association, American Lung Association, American Cancer Society, where there's lots of support out here for patients, but you have to know who to turn to and I give the uh, the way that you can contact these organizations uh, in the book so you know exactly how you can turn to them. So these are tips of where you can turn to when you have got questions about your care or it might be about the care of a loved one or the care of a friend. So you can, through this book, Surviving American Medicine, you can make specific suggestions to people that you care about or that you may be partly responsible for, like older parents uh, or like friends who are challenged, or coworkers at work, make suggestions that can help them and make a difference between life and death in their, uh, in their
1: situations. And of course, in today's modern technology, many are going online to research uh, a disease that, are, that they have, and, and you, through your book, will help us to know how to insist your doctor discuss these new advances. Exactly. So this
4: book is very much pro-patient and doctor. The core of getting good care is to have a good doctor, and the other part of that core is being a good patient. The book helps you to know that you've got the right doctor. It helps you to know that you're you a good patient and that you've been asking all the right questions and focusing the doctor on answering them while they are seeing you. And so this is very, very important for everyone to to find this focus when they are uh, challenged or when they are looking for the very best care. So, it's so frustrating many times when you see patients who just seem lost with the care system and what I sense is in this frustration, there's a lot of anger. How dare this system do this to me? Uh, there's a lot of confusion. I've got insurance, I've got a doctor, but I just don't know what to do with this symptom that won't go away or this disease that I'm trying to fight. And so the book is my best uh, tips, my best information on where to go. Oftentimes, patients are totally overwhelmed by the Internet. So, you know, you do a search on cancer, breast cancer, anything, turns up a couple hundred thousand different sources how do you know which source to really trust how do you know I mean you have got only so much time how do you know that you've got you're focusing on the most important resources and that you've gotten to the types of information that you need to help you to work with your doctor work with your nurses uh, to get really good care and so I focus in the book disease by disease on the very best websites that you can turn to, to get reliable information. Not websites that might be very widely used and be able to get a higher score on a search engine like Google or Yahoo, but basically how to get to an information source that's really good for you and how to find answers to questions which I propose uh, for you and which you can ask your doctor. How do you find some information that you can discuss with your doctor to understand what's good and what's bad? you know disease-by-disease in the United States nowadays there are standard guidelines that doctors organizations have already defined for physicians so there are standards that we have guidelines pathways for diabetes and for emphysema and for infections and for cancer and for heart disease and for emphysema so we have guidelines for all these different diseases So the book gives you tips on how you can find the guidelines that are specific for your illness to see if your doctor is really going along with those guidelines or to talk about the guideline with your doctor and say, well, I've seen in the internet that ABC is what I'm supposed to do. And so have you considered that and why am I getting it or why am I not getting it? Uh, The doctor can understand that you need more information when you come in with informed questions. The book gives you the way you can get that information, gives you specific questions you can ask, and know what kinds of answers to expect from your doctor. So I think it's a good user's guide to the healthcare system. It's a good way to overcome confusion and frustration.
1: We've been listening to Dr. Kerry Present. He is the author of his book, Surviving American Medicine, How to Get the Right Doctor, Right Hospital, and Right Treatment with Today's Healthcare. Dr. Prezant, please tell us how to get your book.
4: Well, the book is available through Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, iUniverse.com. It's also available, you can get a referral to it from SurvivingAmericanMedicine.com. It'll tell you all about the information in the book, and it'll tell you where you can get the book. And we sure hope it helps everyone listening today.
1: Thank you for being with us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you, Steve